Hello, everybody. Basement Sports Podcast back on the air. We've got a uh, three of us here tonight, a trio. Uh, duty is off this duty. evening. So we are uh, we are holding down the fort. Wayne Wagoner, Scott Startari joining us for the roundtable tonight. Wayne, how are you? I'm good, Greg. How are you? Doing great. Scott. Good as usual, Greg. Great to be here, buddy. So so nice to be here. Everybody's got their favorite beverage, and we're ready to go talk about some topics of the day before the podcast. Uh, if you didn't check it out, you got to check out the Jordan Klein interview that Scott and I did the other night. Uh, what a great, great guest we had on the podcast. He knew everything Pitt Athletics. Uh, so if you didn't listen yet, listen to this one. And go back and listen to the Jordan Klein podcast, especially if you're a if you're a Pitt fan. I know some of our Twitter followers from Penn State probably aren't going to be really interested in listening, but it was good, man. We we really enjoyed it. We had a good time with Jordan. So shout out to Jordan. We'll make sure we got him on the podcast again. But let's start out tonight with some fun topics. James Harrison was on Willie Colon's podcast, so. Podcasts are everywhere, as my cousin says. Good God, everybody's got a podcast, and Willie Colon's got one. So James Harrison comes on, talks about his hit on Massaqua, the Browns, $75,000 fine, and that Coach Tomlin handed him an envelope. So the national media goes nuts. Do we have another bounty gate? You know, they, they're even, uh, they even go to New Orleans. And is this another, you know, is this another uh, scandal? But apparently Harrison clarified that there was no bounty, but hinted that there might have been some money to help pay his fine. Scott, what do you, what do you take from all this? Or is this just more typical James Harrison bullshit? Well, well, Greg, uh, admittedly, I am an enormous James Harrison fan. Yep. I, I, I really am. Um I don't know why he feels the need to make statements like that. I, I really don't. Could this have happened potentially? I know that in the past, teammates do take money out of their wallet to to aid in these types of things to make the person whole that gets the fine. That has happened in the past. So could some teammates may have collected the money, gave it to Tomlin to give him? I think potentially that could have happened, maybe. He didn't deliver it that way, okay? He clearly wanted to start something, for whatever reason, to implicate Mike Tomlin in this event. Um, he clearly wanted to do that. Disappointing for me because I believe the guy is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I believe he's a Hall of Fame football player, and I think he should stay above the fray. I know he wants to be relevant right now by putting these videos on Twitter of him you know, bench pressing uh, Chevy trucks and things like that. He wants to be relevant. I, I just like him to see, to stay out of the fray because he was a tremendous ball player. It's just a bad look. It's just a bad look what he did. I, yeah, he's a great story. If you look at his story, now he fought to make an NFL roster. I agree. Wayne, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think that he just, happened to blurt it out i don't think it was planned yeah have you ever said something 
in, in the spur of moment said, oh, geez, why did I say that? I think that's what happened. I don't think he planned to throw Tomlin under the bus. I think he's still hurt by his last season when he thought he was going to get more playing time by signing with the Steelers. And he felt that uh, they went back on their word. Who knows what the truth is there? I think teams pay fines all the time. Um, the difference is the hit he had on Massacoy was part of his job. I mean, he was, this was not a bounty. This was not an extremely dirty hit. He probably shouldn't have been fined. And I know as an employee, and I think you guys would agree, if I did something in the general course of my job and got some sort of a financial um, liability because of it, I would expect my company to come help help me. So I don't doubt that he did. But that's one of those things that, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I think after he blurted it out, he went back and reneged because he knew he he broke the sanctity of what goes on in the locker room. I don't think it was a big deal either way. The shame it came out the way it did, and the media reacts like always. So, not, nothing to see here. Move on. Go ahead, Scott. I, I got to tell you, man, I, I tend to agree with what Wayne said. I, I, I had the opportunity to meet him up close uh, last fall at a youth football game. I happened to meet him, standing right next to him. The guy is enormous okay it's it's no wonder why in my opinion he's a hall of fame football player he was unblockable off the edge he was unblockable and when he couldn't get to the quarterback he clearly was being helped by those big left tackles i mean he really was a big right tackle um, but you couldn't call holding every play in the national football league and i think when you're that good and you are of that stature and i believe He's had the second most important play in Super Bowl history. I really do with his return of the pick from Kurt Warner. I mean, he really did. The only one I'll give above him is Malcolm Brown's interception with the Patriots uh, when Seattle was at the one-yard line to win the game. I'm going to make that number one. James Harris, when you're that of that stature, you can't be just making flippant remarks like that that bring your former teammates and coaches down. I, I think he's got to be a little more thoughtful from that. Um, I wouldn't be the one. I wouldn't want to be the one telling that up front. I may not come away from that argument very well with him, but I think he's got to be careful. He, he's of that stature where he's got to be careful. But he likes to tweak stuff, you know. Like he also said, "Boy, if I had won that Super Bowl against the Eagles, I'd have come back to play for the Patriots to win a seventh one just out of spite." See, he says stuff that just, you know. I mean, he's still bitter, right, Wayne? I mean, like you can. Like, yeah. there's still things that bother him. He's got a, an overabundance of pride. I think part of it is because how hard he had to work right. and how many people rejected him on the way up, that when he achieved this by being such a hard worker, um, his pride sometimes overtakes his common sense. Um, I think that's one of his, his downfalls, um, and I don't think that'll ever go away with him. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 one of the great Steelers, in my opinion. Regardless if he went to New England, regardless if he went to Cincinnati, regardless of his comments on Twitter, he wants to be relevant. I I, I think he's if there is such a thing as a ring of honor, a ring of honor for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That guy is in it. That that yeah. guy is a tremendous Hall of Fame football player, in my opinion. I, we all three of us, if I'm not mistaken, 
were at that primetime Ravens game where he just single-handedly annihilated the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, single-handedly. We're, we were watching. I remember sitting in, a, in Heinz Field watching that game. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was the year he won Defensive Player of the Year. And it was a no-doubter watching him on the field. They, they couldn't contain him. It was almost right. as if, and no, you know, I'm not, believe me, I'm not striking an equality here between him and Lawrence Taylor. Because games like that, Lawrence Taylor did on a regular basis. But to sit in that yeah. stadium that night and watch, that was a Lawrence Taylor-like performance. Mm-hmm that you watched and and it was i mean you remember that guys like scott start with you you remember that oh yeah night? oh yeah I, I i i do and i think when you have players like that he's one of those players that defensive coordinators always want to know and need to know where he is right you, you just do you know julius peppers was one lawrence taylor was another one you just need to know where these people are because they wreak havoc on everybody um so you know, he like I said before, I think he's a he's a Hall of Fame football player. Now, I believe the guy was undrafted. He, correct? I believe he was right. he was an undrafted correct. free agent, yeah, out of Kent State, right? He was at Kent. Out of Kent yeah. State. Yeah. Out of Kent yeah. State. Um, I think he was dra- I think he went into the Baltimore Ravens as a priority free agent and for whatever reason got cut a couple of times by them and and you know, I, I don't know how many free agents are in the National Football League Hall of Fame. I know Donnie Shell is, because Donnie Shell was a free agent, and he's in now. I don't know how many made that, because back then there were how many rounds of the draft, Wayne? 20 rounds? Oh, I mean, yeah. there were lots of rounds. Yeah. Yeah. So someone would have to tell me how many exactly are in there, but I don't know if he's going to get in soon enough, but I believe he should. Wayne, do you think he's a Hall of Fame caliber player? I do, but I think he hurts himself with this, these sorts of things. Um, as much as that isn't supposed to play um and when when voters make their choices i think it does it's human nature um so i think it's the same with antonio brown although he is a clearly a hall of fame harrison may be a little more borderline um because of long longevity and pure stats people love stats but i don't think this kind of behavior helps them the only other thing i i would say is this is another um, example of Tomlin being a total professional. He stays out of the fray when things like this happens. And I do give him a lot of credit for that. He gets enough criticism around this town. But, um, you know, that's got to hurt his pride, too, when he did a lot for James Harrison's career and then somebody betrays him that way. He stays he stays above it. I give him a lot of credit for that. We can talk a little bit. You know, he, you're right. He does stay above the fray. Um, we weren't doing, you know, discussing this with the podcast as much, but uh, that makes me think of when uh, when Mike Tomlin a number of weeks ago uh, stood up for Mason Rudolph uh, with the whole ESPN interview with Miles Garrett. And, and you know, uh, I believe Tomlin – ended up on uh, ESPN the next day with Stephen A. Smith. And it was, it was a really, when he, when he does step up, he, he does a really, really good job of it. But I, I want to step back real quick to that Steelers-Ravens game. Scott, was that the Thunderstorm game? 
if I'm not mistaken. Was that the? Yeah, was that I, it? I, I, I believe it yeah. was. You know. So, um, so we get wait. We get, all I know is <laughs> all I know is I was soaking wet watching the game because we had an incredible tailgate, which was in the middle of what seemed to me a combination of a tornado and a tsunami at the same time, <laughs> trying to work those grills and everything. And I, I remember trying to clean up. I think it was halfway through the first for the first quarter and there were two guys helping me clean up him and, and there was the two guys I'm on the phone with right now and people tend to people tend to have to want to get into that stadium quicker when it starts to rain you know and I remember that so I think it was but I, that was, I think that was a Monday night football it game was a, it a was yeah. I, yeah I just Monday. remember well first of all there was a big deal about a thunderclap that came across that actually startled Ben Roethlisberger during warm-ups and then he ran back into the locker room. I I remember that lightning strike because it was like the parting of the Red Sea at the tailgate. Everybody was gone. I was like, hey, we'll see you inside. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> no, that was a fun night. That was a that was a fun game. Yeah. So, so let's let's move on. Uh this past week, Big Ben video. Uh you know, a nice piece put together, throwing the football, getting his beard trimmed. We can go several different directions with this. My God, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania had to get involved uh, with this story. Um, people were complaining. The biggest complaint that pe- that Yinzers had on Twitter was, oh, my God, why is he throwing to Ryan Switzer? Why is Ryan Switzer even taking passes from the the hatred for what Ryan Switzer is unreal. And it's not just, it's not just from pit fans that watch how many times he scorched us when he was at North Carolina. But so, you know, Ben comes out, he's throwing the football, gets his beard trimmed, gets his haircut. um, And there's a deluge of national media just crapping all over this. From Adam Shine at CBS Sports to Colin Cowherd at, at Fox Sports, um, you know. So let's 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 take a step back. You know, it's just a quick video. You see one, a couple of throws. James Conner was there. Juju and Ryan Switzer. What are your thoughts? Is this you know, as a Steeler fan, it's like okay, this is nice. The proof is going to be in the pudding. Or start with you, Wayne. What what did you think of all this? Another another thing way overblown because people are bored during this quarantine. Um, we'll see what happens when he gets in with live, um, you, you know, more in the training camp. A couple throws uh, is encouraging, but, you know, the jury's still out. Um, could have been a little more sensitive on the haircut because I sit there and I think, you know, he's not that special here. Dr. Rachel Levine probably hasn't had her, her hair done during this quarantine either, you know? <laughs> I, I hear you. I think that's great, man. I, I, I think that's great. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Everybody just has to lighten up. I mean, yep. lighten up. It, it, it's off season. You, you, you can't turn left or right without hearing about COVID, right? There's no sports going on. They run a couple of patterns. The guy wants to test his arm. He wins the test. Big deal, man. Like, relax on the guy. 
there's some national media angst against Ben Roethlisberger that most likely um, is going to stay based upon what happened about 10 years ago. We won't get into in Georgia. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, yeah. And the Georgia stuff. Okay. Look, I'm not, you know, uh, con- you know, condoning that stuff. No, but 10 years later, people still want to drive against the guy. Um, <coughs> Give the guy a break. He's having some fun with his teammate. Ben's always been a dramatic guy, right? He's always been some kind of drama associated with it. It's entertainment, guys. It's just entertainment. And the national media has got to – if this is all they have to talk about, then shame on them, man. I call that being intellectually lazy. Thank okay? you. Figure something, out, figure something out that people really want to dig their teeth into. Not whether or not. Hey Scott, you know, uh, no hey, hey Scott, hey, Scott, did, Scott, did, Scott. Did hey Scott, Twitter? could you yeah, could ahead. you repeat your repeat your statement because you cut out there for a second. I'm sorry, I I, I wanted to catch. Yeah, that. no, it's it's like give me a break and be a little more intellectual about what you want to discuss from a national level because this is a non-story. Have some fun with it. Let the guy do his thing. And that's the end of that. My my problem with the whole thing is, why won't Switzer go away? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I thought the Steelers released Switzer. Am I wrong? I I don't think they did. I think he's still on the active roster. He's still there. I'm more offended by that <laughs> than I am Ben's beer. <laughs> Well, okay. I'm well, a, go ahead, Wayne. Go ahead. I was going to say, this whole COVID-19 has really brought the worst out of the media, whether it's sports reporting, the national uh, media. Wow, it yep. just reinforces what I think one of the biggest problems this country has is a biased uh, media. And, and really, don't they have – they're too lazy to go find a good story. Well – I'm I'm going to do a little bit of a rant here on 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 my side of this cuz I you know because Basement Sports Podcast has a Twitter page so I monitor that Twitter page and I, I'll retweet some stuff, I'll make some comments, I'll post some stories, etc. And here's what I notice. First of all, there's this jackass with CBS Sports named Adam Shine. All right? This dude hates Ben Roethlisberger. But here's the thing. This is his shtick, okay? It's a shtick, and he gets clicks. And I actually commented on there. I'm like, guys, this is a, you know, you talk about, like, A-list and B-list celebrities. This guy is a B-list sports guy. But he has hooked in to the passions of a strong fan base with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he gets clicks. He gets responses when he calls Ben Roethlisberger fat. And, but, but here's what, let's just face it. We're doing this podcast for fun, right? Like we're not, we're, this is fun for us. We're having a ball talking about sports. This guy is supposedly getting paid by CBS sports to do his thing. The last time he posted a video, well, two times ago, ragging on Ben, he said, Ben is recovering from off-season shoulder surgery. 
there's a problem. He had his elbow operated yeah. on, not his shoulder. And he couldn't even get Devlin Hodges' name right. He called him Delvin Hodges. All right? This isn't trying to announce the, the 1982 Russian national hockey team. These are players that you can do some investigation and see how their name is pronounced. So what I'm trying to say is, like, much like you hear about clickbait, and, and people know what clickbait is, and they'll put, like, this really sensationalized highlight on the Internet so they make sure you click on it, and then the story has barely anything to do with the headline. These guys are like click listeners. They throw this garbage out there, and I'm going to lump Colin Cowherd, or I'm sorry, Cowherd, into this category because he does the same shit, and he's been doing it for years. But now, because their type of media is dying, more people are listening to podcasts like this because guess what? We broadcast it for free, and we're not time limited. We don't have to have commercials. We can put our thoughts out there. They have to have 10 minutes, 10 minutes of talking, 30-second sound bites, and then they have to move on. So they have to throw out something sensational to get people to listen. And it's a major problem. I mean, it, it just bugs the crap out of me. Because, I look, this isn't what I do for a living. This isn't what any of us do for a living. But we're passionate about it, and we do our homework. I try to make sure that his name is Delvin Hodges, not or Delvin or Devlin or Devlin or Delvin or however his name is. I want to make sure how his name is pronounced. I want to make sure that Ben had elbow surgery, not shoulder surgery. You want to make sure you get it right. If we screw up, we could at least have an excuse. Well, we don't do this for a living. These guys do it for a living and they can't even get it right. I'm going to let one of you guys talk. I'm sorry. I went on my rant. But... I got you, man. No, it's a lot of negativity. I tell you what, it's a lot. It's a lot of negativity. So let, let me let me you know from, from from the national media. I mean that's good things don't sell. I mean you know good things don't sell. Unfortunately, I got to tell you something. There's something positive that came out of this that really no one's talking about is that Ben Roethlisberger is 100% healthy. Right. Okay, you know if he is when if and when training camp comes along and if and when the season's played, I do believe they'll play. Uh, Steelers are going to be really, really good. They're going to be really good, man. I mean, decent chance with that defense and their ability to score points and that depth on that offensive line they brought in, they can hang with a lot of teams. They can hang with yeah. a lot of teams, uh, excluding the Baltimore of the world and the Kansas Cities of the world. I think but, they're in a different But cut see, right I now. even think they could beat Baltimore. They beat they, Baltimore um, yeah. with Devlin Hodges as their quarterback last year. I mean, they I mean, they sh I'm saying they should have beaten Baltimore. If it wasn't for Juju, you know, right. coughing up the piggy, he they they uh they win that football game. You got people playing for contracts. You got James Conner who's a great back. You don't have to give him the ball 15 times a game now. You don't have to do that. They've got support weapons for him. You've got another couple of receivers coming in there. You have depth on the offensive line. That defense made additions to it. The Hargrave loss is tough. Right. They're going to have to figure something out because McCullers isn't the answer there. 
they're going to figure something out. But I'm telling you, if Ben is healthy, um, they they and they have the second easiest schedule in the National Football League. Behind the Ravens. You never know about that. <laughs> Behind the Ravens. You never know about that. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Wayne. So, there you go. Go ahead, Wayne. I was going to say, no, you don't. The schedule, you never know what team's going to be. Yeah. I remember, you know, before pre-before free agency in any sport, you would see a bell curve of a team as they got better, that it hit, hit their peak for years and years, and then that eventually fall off. You never saw first to last and last to first like you did now, to your point, Scott. You don't know what that schedule is going to yeah. look like. My only concern, my biggest concern with the Steelers and not a lot of people talk about it, is that offensive line was so disappointing last year. I think Mike Munchak leaving was a huge, huge loss for the Steelers. We always think of players, but, boy, that was not the offensive line, especially when they really needed them after Ben, you know, was out for the season. But I hope that there there's going to be major improvement on that line next year. Um to help the running game and give Ben a little bit of time. Well, well said. And, and I think that the, the, the gentleman that's coaching the offensive line was a protege of, of Munchak. And I, my hope right. was that he was going, I was hoping he was going to continue that based upon his learnings under Munchak those three, four years he was there. Um, it'll be his second year as, as offensive line coach. My hope is that they can make some strides there because, Mike Munchak was a Hall of Fame for a Hall of Famer for a lot of reasons, and and that hurt. That really hurt. If I was the Steelers after the Broncos turned him down to be the head coach, I'd have given him a blank check, and I'd have said, "Hey, man, fill this in. You know, fill in well, your amount." I, I don't think that that wasn't his motivator. I don't think yeah. it was family. Think it was family. His daughters in Denver and yeah. family. But here's the thing about coaching: um, his replacement could could be great on the practice field with technique and that sort of thing and relating to right, players. Right. I think sometimes those in-game adjustments is probably where Munchak really shined. He was able as a you know Hall of Fame player to, during the course of the game, if, if someone was you know doing a stunt or a slant or you know whatever yeah. they were facing, I, I wonder if he wasn't just so good at those in-game adjustments and that's what they might have missed but there was a big drop off last year i 100 and i i I, you know before we go on to the next topic i get really i i get really hung up with like pronunciations of names when i was an intern at wpxi i my head exploded when i heard an announcer do you guys remember that san francisco giants they had a shortstop I believe he played shortstop. It was Jose Uribe. You remember Jose Uribe? Yeah. And sure. I'm watching the highlights go, and the announcer says, uh, a eighth-inning home run by Josie Uribe. And, yeah. So hey. I've I've been hung up. So, so I actually, just to let you know, uh, I had to, just to make sure, this particular announcer, I, I loved her dearly. Um but I wrote. I had to write out the script when I was an intern at WPXI, and I wrote Jose Uribe's name out phonetically for her, so that she knew ex- exactly what it was. I was like, "Hose, like garden hose, capital A, Y O U R E E B A Y." 
Jose Uribe. And I got up the next morning at 5 a.m. to watch the morning news because I had to record the late West Coast game that night. And she got it right. So <laughs> that was my claim hey. to fame. Go ahead, Scott. Hey, hey, hey. I, I can do you one better, man. Speaking of the West Coast, and I was out on the West Coast a number of years ago, and they were doing, you know, the morning weather, and they were picking spots from across the country <laughs> to talk about the weather and temperature, as they do a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And the weather forecaster said it's 62 degrees in Dubois, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> that one I laughed at. I, mean, I said, I think it's Dubois, but we'll, it's the French <laughs> side of it, so we'll call it Dubois, Pennsylvania. So Maybe they were the ones that were correct, though, right? Could be. Well, you got to be careful with you got to be careful with Dubois, Pennsylvania, because we have this technology now, this microphone voice to text technology. And I sent a I sent a text message to somebody saying I was heading up to Dubois. And then when I looked at it after I had sent it, it said D.O. space B.O.Y.S. So that message did not go over really well. (laughs) No. That's tough, right. So anyway, um, let's talk a little bit baseball. Uh, Major League Baseball, there's a lot of talks right now about getting back on the field, uh, having some kind of season condensed. Where's the locations going to be? A lot to work out. No spitting, no high fives, uh, all kinds of rules. But it seems like it's, coming down to what a lot of these things come down to is money. Uh, so, you know, the restart is kind of at an impasse. Wayne Wagner, how is this going to work out between uh, this fight between billionaires and millionaires as far as the money thing? Do you see baseball having any kind of season this year? I don't even care. Don't play. If you're <laughs> going to be that greedy right. and be that ridiculous, don't play. You know, it's just... It's just crazy and this is another example of how baseball is broken they can't even get this together you know it's it's just um greed and and stubbornness and um you know they have a great opportunity to to move forward with the season and and get more viewership now because of uh people being kind of uh, stuck in their homes more than they would like and once again they're screwing it up Go ahead, Scott. The closer I look at Major League Baseball's current situation, the more turned off I am. Um, we're forgetting one thing here. We're forgetting the fan experience, okay? Um, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that they just don't care about the fan experience, you know? It's a money grab. It's an enormous money grab. Um they're fundamentally changing the rules of baseball to make money. I, I will tell you, if I won't even say if, but when they eliminate the DH, excuse me, let me rephrase that, when they eliminate pitchers hitting and bring the DH to the National League is when I will stop watching. And I pretty much stopped watching now because they're unwatchable games. But there was strategy involved, Wayne and Greg. There was strategy. When do you leave? When do you pinch hit for the pitcher? When do you get him out of there? When do you do that? You're eliminating all of that. They bring in the fences. 
and they're swinging for fences. Where's the great defense? Where's the great base running? That's not sexy these days. It makes me feel like an old man because I, I yearn for the days of baseball where in-game strategy matters. You take that pitcher and you don't bat that pitcher anymore. It just eliminates all the beautiful decisions that managers have to make in the National League. It just makes the game one-dimensional, I'd say intellectually lazy again, and it's just not for me. It's just not for me. Go ahead, Wayne. And, and here's another big one for me. When did we lose the shame in striking out? No one ever protects the plate. No one ever tries to put the ball in play with two strikes. There's no shame left yeah. in striking out. You know, it's all about analytics and getting the pitch count up. And there's a magical number, 100. Who came up with that? So someone 6'5", 220 pounds, who's as strong as an ox, um, has the same 100 pitch count as that, you know, a 180-pound uh, 5'11 left-hander. I mean, it's just it, it, it's losing interest in people, and their biggest problem now is apathy is setting in. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And you know what? I've heard Bob Walk address that situation. Um, and there's a lot of injuries with pitchers in Major League Baseball, right? One or two years in, everybody's got Tommy John surgery. That's just the way it goes. Bob Walk has a really interesting uh, opinion on that. These kids aren't learning how to get in and out of jams in the minor leagues. They're not anymore where you have to work through that stuff. So you get to the major leagues, there's lots of injuries. So the protection of the arm in the minor leagues may be hurting their development and their ability to get in and out of jams in the major leagues because they don't allow them to do that stuff anymore. Everybody's on a pitch count. Back in the old days, man, these guys would throw 150 pitches, 140 pitches. You very saw very few injuries. So, you know, it's about money. It's about keeping the big boys healthy and keeping those stars healthy. The, what it's not about anymore, it's not about a family experience with the mom and dad taking their ch children or child to the game and watching the game and having a hot dog and being able to afford it. It is not about that anymore. I don't believe they care about that person anymore. It's just not. And don't be surprised if the viewership continues to decline as these young kids are no longer captivated by the game as the way we were when we grew up. I, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, Scott, last year was the first year they crossed that threshold where yeah. they would make a profit without one person walking through the turnstile. That is so dangerous. That That is so dangerous. And you know, Wayne, a, a duty made a great point on the last podcast when we talked about baseball. The strike zone is a shoebox. The strike mm -hmm. zone is a shoebox. And these guys just sit back, wait for their pitch, and drive the ball. You can't even come inside anymore, man. It used to be back in the day, pitchers could intimidate by owning that inside part of that plate. That's what they did. You can't dig in and turn on everything. Go ahead. You're getting plunked. It doesn't happen anymore. It's about dollars and cents. They've let the, they, they don't let the players police the game anymore. You have to let the players police the game, and they don't do that anymore. Um, you know, you throw inside, you get a warning. Um, again, another one of the 
nuances and beautiful strategies of a beautiful game are being eliminated for money. Can I, and I want to, I want to throw something out there because this, this drove, this drives me nuts about today's game. I love the beauty and I'm just going to go focus on one subject here. I love the beauty back in the early nineties with the, with those pirate teams watching leadoff hitter get on and watching Jay Bell damn near 100% of the time bunt them over to second base. Sacrifice yeah. bunt over to second, with, and then you have one out with a player in scoring position. They've lost that art. They don't do it. Like I, I don't know how many times under Clint Hurdle, I'd sit there and watch a leadoff hitter get on, and the, the next hitter isn't even squaring up. They are just swinging for the fences to the point. And, and look, how many times back with those pirate teams did that come up to be a run? Did they drive that run in? Now, granted, they had Bobby Bonilla. They had Andy Van Slyke. They had Barry Bonds. They had a murderer's row behind, behind Jay Bell. Okay, but you're putting a player with less than two outs in scoring position. And with the pitching in today's game, and the strike zone being a shoe, you know, with the strike zone being a shoebox and waiting on pitches, things like with all this strategy, if you've got an opportunity to give yourself to get yourself a run, you take that opportunity. I think that a lot of those things have been lost. Now, I, I'm not sure you guys are going to have to refresh my memory on the the rule change or proposed rule change as far as. Is it number? It's a, I believe it's number of batters, a new pitcher, uh, a, 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 a pitcher has to face coming into a game. Now I call this the Tony Larusa rule, Wayne. I know this was yeah. like this bugged the daylights out of you, so I'm going to go to you. I believe it's a new rule that they have to face a certain number of batters before they can be swapped out again, or if that's a rule or a proposed rule. And what what do you think of that? as far as a change. I, I think they're instituting that this I believe year. So. Yeah. And I think um, the only thing that eliminates how many batters you face is the end of an inning. Okay. Um, like two or three batters, whatever it is. But I want to get back to Scott's point. I think if you expand the strike zone, you get rid of a lot of problems. You're going to have people up there that are going to have to swing at balls. Um, not take these borderline pitches. It's going to decrease the pitch count. You're not going to have to throw so many pitches. You're not going to have to pull pitchers in the fifth or sixth inning. You're not going to have as many arm injuries. I just think expanding the strike zone would solve an awful lot of problems. I remember when I was coaching my kids in Little League, I would tell a lot of times, you know, when they were younger, they'd have kids, teenagers, umpires. I'd talk to the other coach and call the umpire and say, anything close, call it a strike. I want these kids to learn how to yeah. swing the bat, not yeah. get up there for a walk. Yeah. Um, and I think expanding I the strike zone could solve a lot of problems. Hey, I- I'm with you. And I, I want to play on that for a second because I like the old Bob Gibson rule. The old-, the old Bob Gibson rule was you hit one of my guys, I hit two of your guys. <laughs> I-, I-, I love that. And I- I'm not saying that as a person who's never been thrown at. I mean, I, Played a lot of baseball, played in college, played in the Federation League, all that stuff. I remember on two different occasions where the pitcher 
got in an argument with the player on my team who walked and they were going back and forth. I'm up at the plate and I know I'm getting plunked. There's a beauty to that. That There is a beauty to that. I know I'm getting plunked. And this pitcher threw a fastball as hard as he could right at my back. I got out of the way, went down, got back up, dusted myself off and got back in a box. That's the game. That's the beauty of the game. That's one of the little nuances that they're taking away. I get it. We don't try to bean people. I get that. But a fastball under the chin or a fastball will tell that the other players that we're playing for real here, they should leave that go. You come close to a guy now, you can't even retaliate without losing a pitcher in the fifth inning. You can't do that because they just will eliminate that person from the game. So uh, they are completely changing the rules. And we don't need to get into the money aspect as it relates to salary caps. We beat that up pretty good the last podcast. It's the game itself. Young people aren't playing. Um, it's some challenges. The rules, the changing the rules of how many batters a pitcher can pitch to, I don't like that. I don't like that. Let the game dictate how many batters that pitch, how many pitchers that batter should dictate pitch to. Let the game dictate it, not our wallet. Let the game. Yeah. Wayne, you and I have had conversations about what LaRusso used to do. Like, so I, mm-hmm. I'd love your thoughts on that. Well, I disagree with Scott with the number of batters only for one reason. The games are way too long. Whatever they need to do to shorten the games, they have to do. I'll go back to the strike zone again. I think if you expand the strike zone, you have more strikes. Um, a lot, it's going to eliminate a lot of that. Um, I think, Scott, as far as throwing at people and to retaliate, this is such a lit- litigation-driven society. I think so much of that. They're afraid that sometimes someone's going to get, you know, killed or seriously injured and there's going to be lawsuits and um, they're just fearful of that. Um, so that's part of it. But I, I don't I disagree. I, I, I like the rule about a minimal batters because these games are just way too long. And I think that's their number one problem right now is the length of games. Well, I, I appreciate the debate, Wayne. I love the, I love the debate with you. Uh, I would say throwing at someone's head is is is, an, is that a, a disaster waiting to happen. But getting plunked in the side with one, that's the way it goes, man. If you don't like that, you can't play the game. You know, you can't play the game. As far as changing the strike zone, I'm with you. I wouldn't say that's any rash idea. I think. Let the strike zone go back to where it was. Agreed. That's all I'm asking. Agreed. Just let the strike zone go back to where it was. The example I'll give you within basketball, college basketball, any basketball game, is the last two minutes of the game can take 45 minutes because you foul mm. constantly. You foul constantly. Yeah, is that, is that not a good thing to me? Yeah, but you have to let it happen because that's part of the game. And I would say that lefty-righty is part of the game, and I don't think this should be eliminated. I know people aren't watching because of that, but but uh, I just would not want to see that change. It's too fundamental to the game itself. It's too fundamental. We'll, we'll agree to disagree. That's always a good thing. I love the debate. Yeah. I really do. I just The first time I ever stepped up in Little League into the batter's box, I got hit in the head with a ball. <laughs> So, yeah, that was the first pitch I faced. Now these are little league pitchers, and 
believe me, I don't think he was looking to, you know, throw at my melon. And I have an extraordinarily large head, so he didn't do a hell hell of a lot of damage. <laughs> but, you know, I, there's moments that, and we could get into a larger debate about this. Do you throw at a guy the next time he comes up to bat if they hit a home run and you feel like they showed you up a little bit? I, I think it's getting, you know, okay, so so let's 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 go back to when Mike Schmidt in Three River Stadium hit his the whatever record home run, whatever milestone home run he hit. And I'm not sure which one it was. There are people that say that the next time Schmidt came up in that game, he'd have gotten one in his ear for the way he celebrated going down to first base and the way that the Phillies celebrated right there at home plate at Three River Stadium. So, Scott, what, I mean, yeah. what do you do? That was, that was Mike Schmidt's 500th home run. Right. I believe that. Right. I, got, I got a simple philosophy for that. You, you don't hit the guy who hit the home run. You hit somebody else on his team because then, then he's got to answer to his own teammate. I'm not plunking Mike Schmidt. I'm plunk, I'm plunking the number four batter. And if I'm Bob Gibson, I'm plunking the four and the five batter. That's what I'm doing. I think if you do that, then then his own players are like, hey, dude, how about you quit celebrating your home runs? You're getting me killed over. I'm going to be carrying this lump around for black and blue marks for a week because of that. You right. plunk his buddy. You don't plunk him. I'm, I'm not afraid to get hit. I do something for a week. That's a different story. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change my mentality behind that. That is just like hockey players. That's just like hockey players. Someone does some some cheap shot artist, you know, hits Sidney Crosby. You don't hit that guy back. You go after their their best player on you their go team. After a exactly you go team. after Ovechkin. You go after Ovechkin. You don't hit some. You don't hit some dude in the corner that doesn't never going to score a goal. You pound Ovechkin a couple of times. Let the game police itself. It's a bunch of tough guys playing a tough sport. Let it police itself. Yeah. And they're taking the ability to wait to do that. And I think that's dangerous because because now you can drill somebody and you don't face anything. There's, remember when McCutcheon was getting pounded by the Cincinnati oh, Reds? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A Chapman drilled him in the head with a 99. Where was the repercussions for that? There were none. Hurdle wouldn't let them do that. He wouldn't let them do it. And guess what? We got punked. The Pirates got punked all year because of that. If they hit the next two batters, their star players, twice, that's how you end that. And it makes the game more exciting to me, man. But mm. that's just the way I feel. Go ahead, Wayne. I think, I think what they should do, everybody knows about the Mendoza line. They should have the Doc Gallus rule for that. The game where he, I think it was the Dodgers, he went before the game and pointed at every one of them. I'm going to hit you, and I'm going to hit you, and I'm going to hit you. <laughs> That's great. I think he hit the first four. Was it the first four batters, and they threw him out? So he wasn't. And then there was a brawl in the, brawl in the tunnel. <laughs> he wasn't on LSD hey. that game, right? He hadn't taken, no. he hadn't dropped acid before that one. Go ahead, Scott. Hey, Bob Gibson and Nolan Ryan were famous. Or intimidate, they were intimidate the batter that was in the on deck circle. When the batter had two strikes on them, Bob Gibson and Nolan Ryan used to stare at the batter in the on deck circle to the point where I've heard that interview. 
a couple of the batters would be like, what's he looking at me for? What did I do? Before they even got to the plate, they were intimidated. That's baseball, man. Nolan that, Ryan. That, that is old-time baseball. Nolan, Ryan would, now. Nolan Ryan would drill you if you were in the on if you were in the on deck circle and you were trying to time his pitches, if he yes. saw you trying to time it out, you'd get drilled when you stepped into the batter's box. <laughs> I love, I love that stuff. I love that stuff. It's not around anymore, man. Now you make a shoebox, you can't throw inside and you hit home runs. Big flipping deal. That's not exciting to me. Base running, bunting, yep. all the things I that are necessary, that. strategies, all that stuff. Let the game police itself. That's the way it is, man. But, and and they're taking it all away, man. It's just becoming too too generic. Go. And <laughs> a, a little bit of a rant, but sorry. That's all right. Go ahead, Wayne. You know what I think the problem is? There's a more fundamental problem. Just like advertisers go after a certain demographic, people ages, whatever, 20-some to mid-30s. They're not going after the pure baseball fans anymore. That's not who their audience is. And that's what a lot of this is all about. Yeah. Um, they're, they're abandoning the pure baseball fans for just sheer entertainment value, and, and that's what we're losing. Well, look at PNC Park. Yeah. Wayne, Wayne, Scott, how many people in PNC yeah. Park are actually there to really watch the baseball game? Or are they just there for the experience? It's a it's a beautiful park. Yeah. It's probably, you know, arguably the most beautiful ballpark in baseball right now. All right. But you like when I went to baseball games when I was a kid, and still when I the most recent time I went to base to a pirate game, I got a scorecard. I'm keeping score. Yeah. I am into it. I am watching every single pitch. Wayne, the the one of the last ball games I I I went to a game with you. We took my son Andrew. For anybody who doesn't know, Andrew has autism. Okay, but and it sometimes it was back with at that age it was hard to keep him focused. Garrett Cole pitched against the Seattle Mariners. Pitched a nine inning complete game shutout. It was a ten nothing game for the Pirates against the Mariners. My son wouldn't leave until the very end of the game, and half the people had already left because it was over. But we kept score, and we you were, we were into it because, you know, not only was it a baseball game, it was special, and we were keeping score. And I was showing my son how to keep score on a scorecard, but we were watching a brilliant pitching performance by a premier pitcher in the game at that time and even now. And we appreciated the game. And I, Wayne, correct me if I'm wrong, we know that everybody sitting around us was barely paying attention to the game. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, but even that instance with a child who has a hard time focusing, even he appreciated what we were watching and it was the beauty of the game and it was every pitch. And then you're getting into the later innings and you're like, Oh my God, like he's going to pitch a complete game shutout. Then you're really like focused on what he is doing and every single pitch. And I, I still have that scorecard. I still have, a, there was a season, there was a season. I'll get right back to you here, Scott. I just want to mention this. 
There was a season. Oh, God, what was the name of the sporting goods store? There was a sporting goods store in my local mall. I keep on wanting to say it was Herman's, but I know it was Herman's. Was it Natalie? No. (laughs) No. No. There was a sporting goods store in the mall, and I keep on thinking it was Herman's, but I know it wasn't Herman's. But I went in there, and I bought a scorebook, like a season-long scorebook. And I have the entire pirate season that I kept on a scorebook. And believe me, those were back in the days when the pirates weren't on TV every night. You had to listen to it on the radio. I'm going to sound like an old yeah. fart. But you listen to it, and I listened to every game or watched every game. And I hope my mom's not listening. They had an early season game when I was still in school and they were playing an afternoon game at Wrigley against the Pirates and I faked being sick at 11 o'clock in the morning and went home So, because it was on W, it was on WGN and I could watch the game on television from Wrigley and I kept score and I sat there in front of my little television in my room and every single batter for every game that season I had in that scorebook. And, and that art is, it's just lost. It's just, you know, to Scott's point from earlier, it's lost. Scott, yeah. go ahead. I know you had a thought on this. No, man. I mean, I think you're right. I think Wayne said something earlier, too, that they're not marketing to the, to the right crowd. Um, they're not marketing to the little kids anymore, you know. No. I mean, they're just not doing that. And baseball is not broken in every market. We don't have to get on this path every market. They're drawing a lot in L.A. They're drawing a lot in Houston. They're drawing a lot in St. Louis. St. They're drawing Louis. a lot in these, regions, yeah. in these regions where they went. Jordan Klein said something very interesting the other night, Greg, when we had him on for the interview. When I asked him, what has to happen with Pitt football? How do you get the people in the stands? And he said, it always comes down to winning. It always comes – that's a great point. If, there, if we had that mindset around here where you had regional support – um, you might have more interest among the youngsters because the older folks, they, when, they, when they pan around the crowd at PNC, it just makes me feel good to see families there. When I, I agree. see dad with his daughter, or mom and dad with their daughter or son, and one of them keeping school, man, I tell you, that's baseball. That's baseball right there. And I, I think I think they need to get back to more of that stuff. So. Well, I can tell you what. When well, we were when we were at that game real quick when we were at that game that Seattle Mariners game. I know Mr. Wayne Wagner likes he'll stay at a game until it's the final out or if it's a football game till it's triple zeros at the end of the fourth quarter. So he I know he was awfully proud of my son sitting there until the final out of the ninth <laughs> inning even at a 10 nothing game and, and and stayed there for the whole game. Go ahead, Wayne. I, two things. I always, I always ask my son, when I see people leaving at the seventh inning, maybe they got some discount and their ticket was only good for six or seven innings. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I absolutely love the fireworks games. And it's not for why you think. The reason why I love the fireworks games, it's, it's a big crowd. And I leave before the fireworks start so I can beat the traffic and not have to watch the fireworks. <laughs> Hey, that that is so true. What I've learned to do though is go across, walk across the Clemente Bridge. They got about four or five benches right there. Watch the fireworks display. Still get out of town before 
before you can still get out of town before uh, the crowd leaves. And you know, I, I'll Hey, hey, Scott, Scott, go ahead and finish. Uh, re- repeat your your ending thought there. You kind of broke up a little bit. I I, I find that uh, the fireworks are such an interesting phenomenon. So <laughs> I tend to walk across that Clemente Bridge and you know and, and watch the fireworks from one of those benches. Yeah. Uh, typically, it's only about five six thousand people, but they draw. You know, forty thousand for those fireworks. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness for the Zambelli family. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. They should buy them. Why don't they buy them? It's cheaper than a you know a bench player. They could buy the whole fireworks <laughs> thing, and they could have sellouts every night. Hey, uh, let's move on to another sport that we're hoping uh, uh, is able to finish their season, and and at least a team that wins on a more consistent basis in Pittsburgh, and that's the NHL and the Penguins. Um, so there's some talk out there about like a 24-team tournament and even letting some of the teams in that are close. You know, so let's just say it's the end of the regular season. We're going to find a way to get 24 teams in, and they're not quite sure how they're going to go about doing it. Maybe you have like a, you know, some of these teams that are close to the playoffs. You do like a one-and-done it's like, okay, you guys against you guys, one game playoff at a neutral site. Whoever wins gets in the dance. Um, to me, a little bit of an aside here. I find, aside from the NCAA basketball tournament, the Stanley Cup playoffs are the most exciting tournament tournament in in sports. I love the NHL playoffs. Yeah, I'm a big Penguins fan, but I'll tell you what, I'll sit down and watch the Capitals and the Columbus Blue Jackets in a in a playoff game because the level of intensity just gets ramped up like you wouldn't believe. So um, it, it looks like they're working their way. They, they seem a lot more logical to get this going than what we're seeing from other sports. Scott. What do you what do you see with the NHL? Uh, do you, you like the chances of them getting a tournament in, a playoff season in to award the Stanley Cup? Oh, Greg, um, I'm all for it. Um, I believe that they will do it. I've read the same things that you have and got some other information on it. They're going to take these cities where you know they're lower on the COVID. Uh, Scale, if you will, and they're going to get this done. And I'm so excited about that, whether it's pay-per-view or whether it's done through a TV contract or there will be no fans there. Already working on it as it relates to how they're going to protect the players. And I'm so excited that we're going to have the opportunity to watch those kids compete because hockey does it right. They let the kids compete. I'll even go further, Greg. I think that the Pittsburgh Penguins, if this happens, have as good a chance to win a Stanley Cup as any other team in there. Tampa, Boston, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh that I believe have the greatest chances to win that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I believe it's really going to happen for the financial piece of the league, too. The Penguins are up against it. Like I mentioned, they furloughed 75, 80% of the people in the building. 
They have to. There's no revenue. And they don't know when they're going to sell a ticket because they won't be selling any tickets for these games. But it's imperative that they continue that. And I believe this, and I'm really, as a fan, um, as just overall, you like to watch, watch competition. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. So before I go to Wayne, you left the Washington Capitals out off that list. So <laughs> is there a reason besides your dislike for Ovechkin? That you're leaving the the Washington Capitals off that list? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm actually a, an Ovechkin fan. I okay. mean, I know that he's the nemesis of all of all uh, Pittsburgh people, but that guy competes. Okay, yeah. he he just he will bite your face off on offense. On and offense, I, I love, not on I, defense. He doesn't play any defense. <laughs> I'm not putting him in, in the same category. He doesn't play any defense. But man, does that guy want to win? I got Pittsburgh beating Washington in, in some fashion, whatever they determine to do to get to the final four. Because I think with Jake Gensel back right. and that depth on defense and Sid and Gino and the list goes on and on, I think Pittsburgh can take them in a five-game series. If they play five, they can take them and they move on because Gensel was an enormous miss when he was hurt. Yep, I agree. Wayne? couple things. Um, I agree with Scott. Hockey players respect the game they want to play they want to play in the playoffs the stanley cup i know you're not supposed to make generalizations but the spoiled baseball players i don't really care if they play the hockey players want to play i think this is a great opportunity for the nhl if baseball can't get their act together to really take advantage of this because they've never had the real tv ratings across the country they have isolated markets. Pittsburgh's always the top per capita. Uh, so we're spoiled. But um, I, I really am excited about the Penguins' um, chances to Scott's point. I think the hockey players would play. They'll sacrifice to play, unlike the baseball players. And um, it's exciting. And I think the Penguins, I totally agree, Scott. They've got as good a chance as anybody um, not only with Gensel coming back, but they have Zucker now, and they've got depth at goaltending um, just across the board, and they have leadership with Crosby and Malkin. They'll, they'll be more rested. I think leadership is going to play a big role. Whoever gets hot during this stretch um, and, and has stayed in shape. But it's exciting. I'm really looking forward to hockey coming back, much more than baseball. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No question. I got to tell you, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Washington Capitals happen to face off in a three or five game series. That is can't miss TV, man. Like Joe Green used to say, at this Sunday at one o'clock and you're not at Three River Stadium, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, 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 I agree. If the Capitals, if if the Capitals are playing the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, you do not want to miss that. And I miss it dearly. So I'm really pulling for it. But logistically, they're going to pull this off, man. And I cannot wait. There's, cannot wait. There's, there's something to be said for the previous Penguins. Uh, not, I'm not talking about the 90s because that was, that was Lemieux. But the, the Penguins team's Stanley Cup winners have had that veteran presence in the locker room not taking anything away from Sid you know he's the leader of this team 
But one name, if this happens, that I want you to keep an eye on, especially after this long period of being able to rest, and especially he's an older guy, is Patrick Marlowe. This mm-hmm. guy wants to win a Stanley Cup so bad. And he's a great locker room guy. He is a, you know, he's a leader. He's one of those guys that they put in the locker room who fits on a certain line, who can play different lines, who plays both ends of the ice. I loved it when they got him, but I was concerned because he had logged the number of minutes that he had. And he's, let's face it, he's 40 years old. And it wears on you. I mean, I I never played hockey seriously, but I played pickup games when I was in high school. I played a lot of sports. There was not a tougher game that I played, even pickup, than ice hockey. The conditioning of these players is ungodly. And, the, you know, there's a reason why they only do one to two minute shifts. Because you can't do more, you know, unless you're a Chris Letang who's just a freak who can stay out there minute after minute. But I would just say keep if they come back and there's a playoffs, keep an eye on Patrick Marlowe and the contribution he makes to the team. Go ahead, Scott. Greg, I don't know if we got a minute or two to talk about. Oh, we got time. And I love the Marlowe comment. We got time. A minute to talk about the culture of that game. Um in a world we live in where everyone says, look at me, you can't stop me, all this stuff. The culture of hockey, of the hockey player, is one of humility. It, it, it is one of competitive nature. I got a six-inch gash on my face. Take me in, sit up. I got to get back out there. <laughs> and then when I get back out there, when I score a goal and they want to know how I the right place at the right time it was the pass it was a perfect pass there is something so refreshing about that attitude in life in general in life it's intoxicating i want to be a part of that culture i want to be a part of being a fan of people who would do that that's why i say make it pay-per-view charge me a hundred bucks to watch the game on tv and i will give you my credit card so to be a part of that type of mentality. Hockey is intoxicating from a positive standpoint. I quick story. I'm going to tell you before we wrap up the podcast. So I told you guys the story on a previous podcast about my interview with Mario Lemieux when I was just a lowly intern at WPXI going out to get sound bites. Um, so I forget what year it was, but the two early years, 91 or 92, when the Penguins um, were going for their two first two Stanley Cups, they played the Washington Capitals. I was in college at the time. I was an undergrad. And do you guys remember the Pittsburgh Sports Garden down in uh, Station Square? Yes, I do. Down there, big, the, the, yeah. the event became Woodson. Yes, exactly. That's the one in Woodson. Yeah, yeah, it became Woodson. Yeah, it was right. It was right next to Hooters. It was right next to Hooters. That's why I know right. what yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, we were a bunch of college kids, you know. Of course, we were now over twenty-one, so we could go in there and have a few beers. And the Penguins were hosting the Capitals, and we're in there having drinks. And who's sitting at the bar? 
but Dino Cicerelli. And he was the Tom Wilson of his day for the Capitals. He was a nemesis. He was, guys, you know me. I'm only 5'6". He was as tall or maybe shorter than me, but he was a pain in the ass. And he, you know, he knew how to, he was one of those guys that, you know, would get you off your game. He could pester you. You'd try to fight him. You know, but even when he fought, he was tough. And we're in there with our penguin gear, and we sat next to him at the bar and bullshitted with him for like 30 minutes. Couldn't have been a nicer guy on the planet. Was so excited to talk to us and Love was, it. you know, told us about how he came up in the game and, you know, that that he respected the Penguins and that. But he explained to us, he goes, this is my role. He said, I'm not a Mario Lemieux. I'm not going to put up those goal numbers, but I've got my role and it, it serves me well. And he said, and I, I make a living at it. I support my family. Couldn't have been a nicer guy in the world. I mean, you, you're watching him from the stands. You want to get down there with a pair of skates and kick the shit out of this guy. You know, but we're sitting there at the Pittsburgh Sports Bar, at Pittsburgh Sports Garden, talking to him. And he was just a great guy. And, and like, with a couple of exceptions, every professional hockey player that I've run into, I, they were just super, super people and would take the time. And, Wayne, we heard your story about hanging out with the Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins that yeah. night. In Pittsburgh, this is just what they are. And there's a humility that comes with them. If you look at, like, even Sidney Crosby, growing up in a town called Coal Harbor in in the middle of nowhere, Canada. I mean, these, you know, I've been up to Canada into those areas. I've gone fishing up there. There's nothing up there except a hockey rink. There's a little town, a small post office, a high school that fits 10 kids, and a hockey rink. And this is where they grow up, and they're humble. And they're great, great people. So I, I couldn't agree with you guys. Well, I am, you know what, honestly, and I hate to say this, if baseball didn't happen because of this money situation, I probably wouldn't miss it all that much. But I can tell you this, it would be horrible for baseball to try to explain this and come up with it. But hockey, I am rooting for the Stanley Cup playoffs. I, I, and I'm, I'm with you, yeah. Scott. I'll hand them my credit card and I'll say, here. If it's pay-per-view, I don't care if the Penguins aren't playing that night. I'll watch the Capitals and the Blue Jackets go at it because I love the game. Love it. I I couldn't agree more. And to Scott's point about the culture, I really believe why that's why the Penguins have connected so much to the city of Pittsburgh. That same humility and teamwork is such ingrained in this blue-collar town. That's why... Pittsburgh's always the number one market per capita mm -hmm. in the NHL. People identify with that in this town. Yep. And I hope that they take advantage of baseball's greed and use I it agree. to really um, market their game and get more people interested and excited about hockey. Go ahead, Scott, wrap Love it up, it. wrap it up for us. I. Uh, everything you just said, uh, you can feel the passion in our voices about this sport. It's, you know, it's just the way we live our lives around here, right? Most of the people in your life, I'll bet you, they're humble people um, that just want to work hard and do the right thing. And, and that's no surprise because you wouldn't have it any other way. And I think that team embodies what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. There's something about this region that's special. I'm not saying there aren't 
humble people all over the world. I'm not saying that, but there's something about this Pittsburgh area that, uh, that really embodies that type of behavior and um, with the part it's in our blood. And I think it's in the blood of hockey too. And I look forward to watching it again this year. I hope. Can't wait to see it. Uh, everybody remember you can catch basement sports podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio. Check us out on Twitter at Basement Sports One. Check us out on Facebook, Basement Sports Podcast. Send us an email, Basement Sports Podcast at gmail.com. That's Basement Sports Podcast at gmail.com. Hopefully, the next podcast, Duty can drag his ass from planning on his overseas golf trip to join us for a podcast i'd love to have him back for the next one and again if you haven't listened to the jordan klein interview go on there and listen to it we are really really trying to to book some guests coming up here um you might see all four of us on with a guest you might see a couple of us on with a guest we're trying to get a couple of former uh penn state football players to come on and talk to us about their experience playing at penn state and what they're looking at for the upcoming season for the Nittany Lions. We're looking to get a couple of former Pitt players to come on and give us their same outlook for the Pitt Panthers for the upcoming season and uh, uh, looking forward to a few years. Um, We're going to try to get into some uh, high school football. God, we're hoping that there's going to be high school football. Uh, You know, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, uh, love our high school football. We're going to try to get a couple of coaches on here to talk to us about the upcoming seasons and uh, discuss high school football and maybe even what their plans are for safety uh, with going, what's going on with the coronavirus and the pandemic and keeping our, uh, our young football players safe. But, you know, look, thank you for joining us for a basement sports podcast. We have a ball doing this and you know what, if, if you like us, go on to iTunes, give us a positive review. If you don't like us, keep it to yourself, but then jump on an email and tell us that you don't like us. Don't ruin our rating, please. Uh, but we, we, we have a lot of fun. Wayne, Scott, thanks so much for jumping on again tonight. Really, really appreciate it. And everybody out there, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.